0: Peru's president, Pedro Castillo, impeached and detained. Argentina's vice president, Cristina Kirchner, convicted of corruption. What's behind a wave of investigation and criminal charges at the highest echelons of power in Latin America? I'm Nastasia Tay, and you're listening to the Inside Story Podcast, where we dissect, analyze, and help define major global stories. Well, let's now bring in our guests. In London, we have Javier Farge. He is a journalist and also an analyst on Latin American affairs. In Buenos Aires, we have Sebastian Lacunza. He is a senior reporter for Red Intelligence Latin America and a former editor of the Buenos Aires Herald. And in Managua, Nicaragua, Ben Norton, an investigative journalist and also the founder and editor of Multipolarista, an independent news website that's based in Latin America. A warm welcome to each of you. Thank you for joining us on Inside Story, gentlemen. There's obviously been a lot that's happened in Latin America in just the last few days, plenty to unpick, so I want to start in Peru. Uh, Pedro Castillo has obviously made some decisions that have lost him lots of allies, landed him in prison. But I do want to take a bit of a, a step back and have a look at the corruption allegations against him. He says that they're politically motivated. Javier, is that fair?
1: Well, it's very difficult to determine that because in Latin America, in Peru anyway, the border between the legal, legal issues and political issues is very, very blurry. Mm. In the case of, the, of Mr. Castillo's accusations, I had the chance to read the whole indictment by the Attorney General. And although the Attorney General provides evidence that members of his inner circle were involved in corruption, there's no direct link between them and President Castillo, which is a very, very tricky issue. In fact, uh, many uh, jurists and many specialists on legal issues in Peru say that it would be very difficult for that to stand up in court, because the only reason why the attorney general linked Mr. Castillo to these cases is because mm-hmm. these people were part of his inner circle, relatives, friends, and all that. But there's no direct link. There's no evidence that mm-hmm. there's a direct link. I'm not saying that there isn't a link. He said that there's no evidence, legal evidence, that there's a direct link between President Castillo and his and his and the corrupt people that who are being indicted. Uh, he's been accused of being the head of a of a criminal enterprise, but the Attorney general did not provide enough evidence to link him directly with this case of corruption many people accused of being of being uh, neglectful of being of being careless of not looking after you know the interests of the presidency but the link is very very fra- mm-hmm. fragile and it would have been very difficult to prove in court unless he provides and they provide concrete evidence that he was directly involved sure. he directly benefited promoted or encourage this kind of uh, acts of corruption.
0: Okay, well then turning to Argentina, we've obviously heard some similar accusations from Cristina Kirchner. Uh, She says that part of the case against her is an attack by a a parallel mafia state. Sebastian, who is she talking about?
2: Well, the case is related to a tycoon uh, who used to be a a close friend of the late president, uh, Nestor Kirchner, Cristina Kirchner's uh, late husband. Uh, who became uh, an entrepreneur, a contractor of public works in the province of Santa Cruz in the very south of Patagonia, when uh, the Kirchner's moved to Buenos Aires, when Nestor was elected president. So, there is certain ground, at least, to investigate uh, why this person who ended up uh, having uh, millions, dozens of millions of dollars in bank accounts in Switzerland, for instance. Uh, at the same time, uh, the prosecutor uh, di- didn't find uh, clear evidence of a connection between the fortune of this uh, tycoon,
1: mm-hmm.
2: this magnate, and uh, Cristina Fernández de Kirchner and uh, her family. Uh, Christina, Uh, said that uh, she is victim, she is being victim of a traditional mafia, well, it is a political allegation. But uh, there are um, maybe, there are reasons to think that uh, there is a, uh, a connection, a plot between uh, leaders of the opposition party, Conservative uh, Alliance, Mm -hmm. uh, Juntos por Cambio, the Judiciary, uh, spies, and uh, the Grupo Clarín, which is the main uh, media group in Argentina.
0: So there's a bit of speculation there, Sebastian. I I know, Ben, you've done some digging into this. I want to uh, understand how what Kirchner is alleging could actually be possible. Surely this is a, a strength of the question of, of institutions, of not only the strength of them, but their integrity as well.
3: Well, we need to understand that Argentina, until very recently in the 1980s, was a dictatorship. There were no democratic institutions until really 1983. And many of those institutions are very weak. And the judicial system is an example of this. And it is weaponized by the political opposition. In fact, since 2004, there have been 654 judicial cases filed, almost all of them frivolous, against Cristina Fernandez de Kirchner by the right-wing opposition. In fact, six individuals, just those individuals, have filed between 20 and 74 lawsuits against her. So what we see is a constant, concerted political attack using the the judicial system against her as a weapon. It's Mm -hmm. called lawfare, legal warfare. And we also have leaked messages and photos and videos showing that prosecutors and judges were conspiring with the right-wing opposition and with large media corporations like the Grupo Clarín, which is the main kind of conservative media outlet, like Fox News Mm -hmm. in Argentina, which supports the right-wing former president, Mauricio Macri. There are photos showing some of the prosecutors in an airport meeting with members of this company. When she says that there is a, a parallel mafia state that's not elected, I mean, that's not wrong. I mean, the reality is we have evidence showing that these compromised prosecutors were directly collaborating with the opposition and flying on their planes and going to their mansions.
0: Well, I want to take this moment to talk a little bit more about institutions, the the weakness and the strength of them, because as he tried to dissolve Congress, I recall Castillo was accusing parliamentarians of, what was it, destroying the rule of law and trying to establish a congressional dictatorship. I mean, some might argue that a congressional dictatorship led by elected officials is a form of democracy, right? I, I want to take a look at a graphic, because I believe Peru has had, what, 10 presidents now in the last two decades? Now... Two were just short term temporary interim office holders, but the other eight were either ousted, jailed, or detained. One of them died via suicide. Ten presidents in two decades, and what, four in just the last two years? That instability, that level of instability, Javier, how has that contributed to the situation that we're facing now?
1: Oh, the, the political system in Peru is broken. There's no question about that. You have mentioned all the presidents who have been indicted. One of them is waiting for, to be extradited to Peru, Alejandro Toledo, Alan Garcia committed suicide. All the presidents are under house arrest. In the case of Mr. Castillo, the announcement he made on Wednesday, the, Wednesday, the 7th of December, took everybody by surprise. According to the Constitution, he cannot close down Congress by himself. He cannot do that. That violated an article of the Constitution that banned him from doing that. That's the first thing. Second, when Congress could... The day before, he was was still discussing his defense against attempts to impeach him in Congress. The opposition in Congress had managed to get enough votes to debate the issue, but not to to sack him. They didn't have enough vote for that. He would have probably survived that vote. On Wednesday... and Tuesday evening, he announced that he was going to go to Congress to defend himself. On Wednesday, midday, he announced close, that he was closing Congress, that he was uh, ordering the reorganization of the mm-hmm. judiciary, which he has not allowed to do that, and also the Constitutional Tribunal. And that was... got everyone by surprise. All his ministers resigned, and the armed forces and in, in in any country in Latin America, you cannot conduct a coup without the support of the armed forces. And now, after the uh, announcement was made, the armed forces said that they would not support this because this was unconstitutional. And of course, at the end, after after this announcement, the Congress, managed, the opposition, managed to get enough votes to indict and to uh, impeach the yeah, president. So, Javier, so yeah, so, he sorry to interrupt, but it, I mean, this, agree- this
0: sounds to me like a, a real triumph of institutions it shows the strength of the constitution and the process ben i'm curious i want to throw this to you because i see that mexico is standing by castillo and he's they're considering offering him asylum the president andres manuel lopez obrador described this as a soft coup is this ben leftist solidarity or is obrador potentially concerned that something similar could happen to him
3: Well, it certainly was a congressional coup. I mean, it's true that what Castillo did in dissolving the Congress was legally in a gray area, although in the Constitution, which we can talk about in a second, which is deeply compromised, and he wanted to change the Constitution to prevent these kinds of coups in the future. But it does provide the possibility for the president to dissolve Congress in certain cases of obstructionism. And the Congress in Peru is the perfect description is obstructionist. It has taken every single step since day one to prevent Castillo, the elected president, from being able to govern. That's why there have been six presidents in five years Mm. because there's an article in the Constitution that goes back to the Fujimori dictatorship, which ended in 2000. Let's not forget, Peru had a far right dictatorship until 2000 and Fujimori committed genocide. He sterilized indigenous women and his children are prominent politicians in the opposition. His daughter came close to becoming president, Keiko Fujimori. The point is that he left behind this this dictatorial constitution that allows the Congress to remove an elected president with a a majority vote if the president is deemed to have moral incapacity. That means nothing. I mean, basically, it opens Mm. the possibility for the political opposition to constantly try to launch a legal coup against the president. And yes, you could say that it was a very unwise move for... Castillo to uh, dissolved the Congress. But the reality is that this was the third time in just over a year that the Congress was trying to overthrow him, and he was tired of the obstructionism, so he dissolved it. And let's not forget that the Congress, according to the latest poll from a few weeks ago, has 11 percent approval in Peru. So this is these are undemocratic actions taken by a very vicious right-wing opposition and that includes the the daughter and the son of mm-hmm. the former far-right dictator
0: okay so taking a bit of a step back here we're talking about two countries with leftist leadership in a region that's notoriously plagued by corruption i think we can all agree population struggling with vast vast inequality deep disillusionment with public officials these kinds of narratives that we're hearing aren't just confined to peru and argentina we've also seen this big shift towards the left in in Latin America. Uh, This coming January, I was having a look at the numbers. For the first time, I believe all of the seven most populous countries will have left of center governments. It feels like the public have also a a real preference for big personalities, kind of outside of figures. Now, given the rise in populism across the region, Sebastian, do you think that it makes these kinds of attacks on on individuals specifically uh, more effective?
2: It is difficult to, to tackle this issue, speaking as Latin America as a whole, as uh, countries are—the are the political environment of our countries uh, is, are very different from Peru and from Argentina, for instance. Cristina Pernando de has been the, a decisive figure. In Argentine politics, as your reporter in Buenos Aires uh, said, and uh, she is still supported by about one third of, of the population. He, he, her approval ratings are uh, pretty stable, despite all, all the storms uh, she uh, has faced in the last uh, decade. Uh, so uh, uh, she is still a competitive leader. Uh, one-third of of population of citizens would vote for her. Uh, Her influence in the uh, parents' left-leaning front alliance uh, coalition uh, is decisive. So uh, this is an ongoing ongoing Mm -hmm. situation. Many in Argentina look at... uh, uh, the, Brazil and um, uh, Luis Inaro, Inacio Lula da Silva, who, who expressed uh, his support to, to Cristina, as Cristina and uh, President Alberto Fernandez uh, 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 have uh, backed uh, Lula during the, the legal case uh-huh. uh, he faced in Brazil, because there are there are there are similarities. So what what Brazil uh, says is that uh, certainties... is. Uh, are not allowed uh, regarding politics
0: sure well politics can go either way and we've obviously seen both left and right-wing governments in power across latin america over over well the last century and the last few decades both governments on the left and the right have been accused of corruption and if you ask the left or the right who's more corrupt they'll obviously say each other so do you think then javier let me throw this to you is this an attack that we're seeing on the left, or is this simply cyclical power politics, that it just happens to be that there are a large number of, of leftist politicians in power at the moment, and they're being attacked by the right?
1: Well, it depends very much on what country you're talking about here. In Peru, for example, when Mr. Castillo, who was elected on a left-wing ticket when he became president, nobody knew exactly where he stood. That is one of, the, one of the problems that he had, politically speaking. In fact, Dina Boluarte, the current president, the one who's just been appointed by Congress, uh, is more to the left, to Mr. Castillo, than actually Mr. Castillo. In fact, Aníbal Torres, the prime minister until recently of Mr. Castillo's uh, cabinet, once defended Hitler and Mussolini, which is not exactly something mm-hmm. you would expect from somebody who comes from the left. So they became like... a. Like lack of total uh, political identity in relation to uh, the political side of it. It is absolutely true, as our colleague said, that Parliament has been trying to put obstacles uh, to uh, to Mr. Castillo, to government, and they tried to get rid of him. In fact, they wanted to accuse him of treason, which was a ridiculous accusation. However, when Mr. Castillo... And, and the opposition never had enough votes to impeach him, when Mr. Castillo decided to close. Congress, he gave ammunition to the opposition sure. to get enough votes, because many people in Congress who would have been reluctant to in, to impeach the president didn't have any choice but to vote in favor of the impeachment. So, he gave the, the ammunition to the opposition to get rid of him. And, of course, he was totally isolated. He didn't inform any of the members of his cabinet, apart from his, his prime minister. And they were all caught by surprise. His lawyers were caught by surprise. He probably would have won the vote against impeachment. Mm-hmm. That is the irony of this situation. And then with his decision, he took uh, he, he gave ammunition to those yes. who wanted to get rid of him okay. to get rid of him, which is exactly what's happened. Okay. So it is more than political. Javier, I, 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 there I'm... was a strategy and there, was, there were a lot of mistakes.
0: Sure. I, I'm going yes. to stop you there because I do want to take a moment to also look at what lies ahead. The main trend from recent elections, it seems, in Latin America has been anti-incumbency. What an, op- an opponent has won the last, what, 16 free presidential contests in the region? So, Ben, do you think, very briefly, we should expect then to see a swing to the right in the coming months and years?
3: Well, it depends on the country. In Argentina, the situation is very difficult, especially economically largely because the country is trapped in unpayable odious debt owed to the International Monetary Fund ironically that that debt which is 44 billion dollars was taken by the previous right-wing president Mauricio Macri but it has really uh, you know trapped the current government the center center left government of Alberto Fernandez and Cristina Kirchner and it's very likely that in the 2023 elections that are coming up especially considering that Cristina said in her speech after the sentence that she's not going to be running for president, it's likely the right wing is going to win in Argentina. And that is going to throw a wrench into the project of regional integration because when Lula comes in in Brazil on January 1st, He has said clearly that he wants to try to economically integrate Latin America to bring back institutions like the UNASUR, the Bank of the South, creating a new currency. And it's very likely that in Argentina, the right is going to come back to power. So, I mean, it it depends on the country that you're looking at, but certainly Argentina is one where I think the left's their their, uh, control of power is very limited.
0: Indeed, and it will be very interesting to see how the various corruption allegations um, aimed at various leaders across the region also play out in upcoming elections. And we'll have to leave it there for today, though. Thank you to all of our guests, Javier Fahey, Sebastian Lacunza, and Ben Norton. Well, that's it for the Inside Story podcast. This episode was produced by Dermot Fleming, Usama Aloni, Aiseba Merzdeyeva, and Jimmy Gettel. Studio sound by Sasha Andrejevich. This program was edited by Mohamed Sobi, Lin Yuan, and Jody DeFries. Do be sure to subscribe to the Inside Story podcast to catch every one of our episodes. Thank you for listening and tune in again on Monday for our next episode.